0: Welcome to season two, everyone. This is Everywhere Radio season two, and I'm so excited. We're launching our second season today, right now. This is it, you're in it. We're bringing you a whole new set of interviews in 2022 with more incredible rural leaders and allies and grumps and neighbors. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, then you know we like to focus on diversity in rural across geography and experience and culture. And I feel like we did a really good job of that throughout 2021. I mean, we interviewed 20 incredible people last year, people who care deeply about rural America. Some of them brought us wisdom from a very local context and from places like small places like Lexington, uh, Nebraska, and Wilkesboro, North Carolina, and Delray, California. And some of them brought generosity and allyship from big cities like New York and Washington, D.C., and Minneapolis. But all of our guests last season, from radio host Krista Tippett to rural artist Nikiko Masamoto, all of them brought us stories that help us make sense of who we are and that illustrate how we're connected in this big and messy and fascinating world. So if you missed last season, I encourage you to go back and give it a listen. But after you hear this amazing episode, Today's conversation, the first of our second season, is really special to me. Today, I bring you Tim Merrima. He is the editor of the online rural news platform, The Daily Yonder, and he's a vice president of the Center for Rural Strategies. Spoiler alert, Tim and I work together. We've worked together since 2008. He's a dear mentor of mine, a colleague and a friend. Um, we even shared office space. In mediocre office coffee for several years in Knoxville, Tennessee. But both of us work from our home offices now. Um, I work in Athens, Tennessee, and Tim works in Norris just a couple of hours up the road. I can always track him down on our Slack app at Rural Strategies, but it really isn't the same um, as seeing him in person. So that's another reason why I'm really excited about this conversation. Um, I get to tell you many things about Tim today, and hopefully he'll, he'll share a bit about himself too, but you should know that Tim is a top-notch journalist and writer. He's also a musician and a songwriter, and he and his wife, Liz McGahey, have been performing and recording music together for a long while. They even made a trip down to Athens and performed in our local Black Fox Theater. Tim likes button-down flannel, short sleeve shirts. Um, Although, if you're watching this today, (laughs) he didn't get the memo that I actually wanted him to wear one of those. Oh, no. (laughs) It's all good. (laughs) It's great, Tim. I do have a button down. You do have a button down. And I know you also like scruffy baseball caps, Tim, but you're not wearing one today either. But that's okay, too. Um, You're just such a dad, I think. Um, And you really are a dad to two grown children, Graham and Walker. Uh, It's really been a gift to me to get to watch you celebrate your children over the years. Tim also loves rural America and his native Appalachia and his Kentucky roots. So what else could I tell you about him? Um, I was trying to decide. I mean, he's a little grouchy sometimes. We give him a hard time about that at Rural Strategies, but he helps us keep it real um, and keep it rural. So Tim, I'm really, really glad to have you on everywhere radio to be looking straight at you right now. Um, thanks for taking us yes to this
1: conversation. Thank you so much, Whitney. And uh, thank you for a complete and uh, more or less accurate introduction right down to the to the grouch factor. I don't think I've had that included in any uh, introduction before. So that's a, a first.
0: We're, we're a truly inclusive radio program here. Um, we, we appreciate the grouches too. Um, and I... I started out by saying, too, that, you know, you and I got to work in an office space together for many years, actually, or it felt like, you know, several years. And we would spend the first 20 minutes of almost every day standing in the hallway with our colleagues, Sean, and sometimes Catherine, Pearson Chris, and, you know, kick off the first 20 minutes of our day with, you know, shooting the shit. And I really miss that. Um, and as I was preparing for this interview today, I was thinking about those conversations, do you miss our in-person time too? Oh,
1: absolutely. And that was one of my favorite parts of the day was gathering and talking and laughing and commiserating. And and that's sort of a, a whole interaction that a lot of folks don't share the same way we used to before the pandemic.
0: No. no. Um and and also, you know, we parted ways or went to our own remote working areas, even a little bit before the pandemic, when I decided to move back to Athens and you were so supportive of me in that move. Um, I'll always be grateful to you for that as well. Um, even though it broke up our little hallway conversations,
1: it was a good investment. And I've, I've said this to you. Um, uh, I know we're not interviewing you necessarily, but I thought that your move back to Athens after having been in, uh, uh, Charlotte and Boone and Knoxville and Maryville um, was really a, um, a big step for all of us in uh, placing you back in a more rural context, and I think it affected your work in a very, very positive way, um, and all of us benefited from that, and me, I know I did. So I'm, I'm very glad you're back in Athens, almost as glad as the people in Athens are. probably.
0: <laughs> well, so today I wanted to talk to you about, I mean, a lot of things about, you know, the state of journalism in this country, about rural journalism in particular, um, and about the things that have shaped you and brought you to your current role as editor of The Yonder. I know um, a lot of our listeners here at Everywhere Radio are avid readers of the yonder. So I know they're going to be really excited to hear more from you um, about what you see out there in the world of journalism and and on the horizon um, for the yonder. So I wondered if we could just start with the present, like you as a lifelong journalist, how, how are you making sense of what is happening in journalism right now? I mean, with disinformation and the growth of distrust in our news and in institutions, like tell me what it's like to work in this sector right now.
1: It's unlike anything I've experienced before. And I came up, you know, in the time of print newspapers, I started working at the uh, weekly in Berea when I was a college student there at Berea, Kentucky. Um, I worked in dailies in the Durham and Chapel Hill area um, before going into nonprofit work, and then coming back into journalism through the nonprofit sector a few, uh, several years later, um, the the newspapers and local radio stations generally set um, the agenda for what was going to be discussed and the frame through which communities would get their news and understand it. And I don't think we knew we were doing that as journalists. I think we thought we were just, uh, this is the way things are. Looking back on it now and knowing what I know now, I realize we were very much framing it around kind of the city establishment. Um, And, um, you know, that was the the challenge is how to have a more diverse um, exchange of ideas when there is agenda setting going on. But now we've kind of thrown that out in a way that has created um, through social media primarily um, this sort of uh, um, devaluation of information and a lack of understanding of what's what's actually um, fact versus opinion. And it's a very, very challenging time, uh, not just fact, but what's just outright false it's not fact versus opinion as much as it is fact versus um, you know just downright uh, a lie at some level and um, it's it's a challenging environment and I think all of us at the Daily Yonder there's several of us you know uh, involved in this our goal is just to do to continue to turn out what we um, aspire to be accurate information, to challenge um, what we see that's inaccurate. And traditionally, that's been um, around sort of perceptions of how people view rural America in broader media, how how rural people are portrayed. But increasingly, um, you know, stuff about the healthfulness of vaccinations and um, you know uh, misinformation about elections and that sort of thing um, we just uh, some of it we confront head on a lot of it we just keep um, pushing on what we know is uh factual and sharing that with our readers who we know are very very involved and um, need a place to look for that kind of information.
0: Is there a recent story or um, or report from one of your correspondents or one of our correspondents out there that has um, felt like a uh, really emblematic of the work that the Yonder is trying to do or um, in the space that the Yonder is trying to occupy?
1: One that I think is very simple um, but fits that mold somewhat. Uh, Liz Carey and I wrote a piece about the death rates in rural America from COVID-19. And um, generally, uh, since about August, they've been twice that of urban areas. So people in rural areas are dying at a faster rate from COVID-19, and that's that's more or less current to not, to now. The ratio has come down a little bit. But, um, you know, the the consensus of opinion with the health professionals that Liz talked to and the data that I provided for the story are that it links directly to vaccination rates. Um, There are factors about access to health care in rural areas, pre-existing conditions, you know, the age of rural people tends to be uh, up there, which puts them more at risk for dying from COVID-19. But underneath it all fundamentally is uh, a lower vaccination rate leads to more deaths and um, you know it seems like a simple point kind of a a duh factor but i hadn't really seen it reported that way before and so i was glad we could do something that connected the dots in a very specific way about what um, and then the number of deaths that are attributable to that gap, um, you know, tens, twenties, thirty thousand. I think the number was sixty thousand additional deaths because of the higher rate in rural areas. Um, you know, that I felt good about that story trying to add information to what is out there, but that had not been filled in by other outlets.
0: Um, something that I've observed over the last couple of years during this during the pandemic and with the Yonder and the Yonder creating this COVID-19 dashboard where you all really are tracking cases, hospitalizations, vaccination rates in rural and all the effects that the pandemic has had in rural, it almost seems like the Yonder is is serving a public health role by connecting those dots, by telling us the true story, even though it's not as it's not it doesn't feel good. It doesn't um, it doesn't necessarily play to what we want to believe about um, about the direction the pandemic might be heading. Um, but what do you think about that? The, the role of the yonder in the pandemic? Um,
1: well, the the data reporting on cases and and deaths and vaccination rates is something we just sort of um, I wouldn't say we stumbled into it, but, you know, it never occurred to me three years ago that this would be a major focus of my work individually or the publication generally. Um, We've always covered a fair amount of health um, uh, information because health care and access to medical care and the difference between kind of the the results of health care delivery in rural areas uh, is not as good as it is in urban areas. And so we've always covered a lot of it. I hadn't expected that, you know, we would have as much, um, but it makes sense. I mean, the pandemic is a huge global story, and and we've tried to show how it is, um, it is affecting rural areas. So it, it makes sense that we would do that. It hadn't occurred to me that we would have to, and I'm sorry we have to, but I'm glad we have the resources to be able to do it.
0: So I wanted to go back to kind of the origin story of the Daily Yonder because I think it's a really good one and it gets to at this um the the idea that rural audiences are are in need of um, reliable news outlets that are for them and about them. I wondered if you could tell me just a little bit about how the Yonder got off the ground and then how you came into the editor
1: role. The Daily Yonder. Is published by the Center for Rural Strategies which uh, you work for as well in your role as a a vice president there and with as directing the National Rural Assembly so or the Rural Assembly so we're a project of the Center for Rural Strategies. Rural Strategies started in 2001 Um, our idea was that um, if we used if we communicated better, more accurate, more compelling information about rural people and places that the result would be that we'd get better um, rural policy and a more res- a nation that is more responsive to what would actually be helpful for rural areas and to see their importance and the opportunities that are there. Um, a lot of our work focused on um, helping journalists cover who were covering um, rural issues. And we had a kind of a stable of formal and informal advisors along the way, people like uh, the late Rudy Abramson and um, uh, Al Smith in Kentucky. And two of them were Bill Bishop um, and uh, Julie Artery. And several of them said, along with helping other journalists do this work of covering rural America, um, of providing background and contacts and context for them, you you should publish your own journalism site that covers rural America, both as a way to kind of fill in the gaps and then to show uh, what the real how you can cover rural America as real news. And that was primarily Bill Bishop and Julie Artery, and uh, they came up with a, a plan for how to launch it. With a little bit of support from the Center for Rural Strategies, um, you know D. Davis and Marty Newell um, and Michelle Reynolds um, were all involved with helping along the way, but it was primarily Bill and Julie who got it going in 2007, which not coincidentally was the first year of the Rural Assembly. And we launched at the Rural Assembly, and I was just kind of an advisor and supporter. Um, and along the way did special projects and, um, got to know Bill and Julie, uh, well as professional colleagues and, um, I became editor in 2012 and the idea is that we want to, um, fill a niche by covering rural America, showing, um, how rural stories are national stories and why they're important.
0: And, you know, as editor, I've wondered, how do you, how do you decide, how do you define and curate the rural voice? Um,
1: well, the the dirty little secret is that, you know, we've always relied on the kindness of, of strangers and friends. And um, um, a lot of it um, has felt like not curation as much as um, taking advantage of what comes in over the transom. So, uh, We've had a lot of volunteers, people like uh roberto gallardo and uh at at, at uh, purdue Brian Whitaker at oklahoma state um and people who were digging into rural issues who wanted to share them with a um you know a rural interested audience um we had people who, in different towns who wanted to write about what was going on there, kind of local color types of stories. Um, we were constantly digging up stuff out of public domain reports, like from the Economic Research Service at USDA. It was a real scramble to fill the page, and the I did not feel as much like a editor as I did um, a... Um, You know, I just practically had to get a story up every day. So I was kind of a a beggar. And we didn't have, and what has changed dramatically in the last couple of years is that we really do have far more resources and people to actually curate and cover and assign stories now. I feel much more like an editor right now because of those steps uh, than I did previously in being able to curate. And what i've always looked for in terms of is this a good daily yonder story is if it's from a rural place is this rooted in someone's experience of living in a rural community or is it someone's perception of what it's like to live in a rural community i got a lot of stories about having backyard chickens and you know uh hey here's a story you i could send you on backyard chickens which is great uh, you know i have chickens in the next yard up the hill uh fortunately far enough of what, that i don't hear much but that is not a rural story per se you know r- a rural story is from a place is rooted in a in a small town or a rural community it deals with someone's lived experience in it um and it's not um so i have to differentiate between what someone's perception of living in a rural area um and what's the reality and you know i'm the editor so i and others get to decide what we think that is um there is a filter there and then on the other end of the spectrum we have a lot of stuff that's about policy and um data and larger topics and there we're looking for um, often like what's the, how are rural areas similar to each other around the country? How is how is the desert in Arizona similar to um, Eastern Kentucky and how is it different? And then also how are urban areas and rural areas alike and different? Um, and there's a lot of data that can help us make those uh, uh, determinations. So, um, it's a loose, it's a loose filter, but the, but I hope there is one and I hope it's relatively consistent.
0: So you're moving on to, to you and your background and, you know, I know you've been a lifelong journalist. I mean, that's that you've got a degree in journalism, uh, but you're also a musician, You've also spent time working for Apple Shop, one of our neighbor organizations in Whitesburg, Kentucky, which is a it's a media Appalachian media organization. Um, you know, I think you're I think of you as a real community leader in the East Tennessee region and in Norris. And I just wonder, you know, if I were to call out a common thread in your life, storyteller kind of jumps to the forefront for me Um, as a teller of stories, whether it's news or music or um, in bringing people together. um, I wonder if that rings true for you, that moniker. Are you a storyteller? Is that what makes your heart sing?
1: As I've gotten a little grayer and longer in the tooth, um, I've, I've understood, I think, that a lot of what I am is a reflection of what my parents' values were. Um, and I don't know whether that was storytelling or, or what, but my parents were school teachers in, uh, Southwest Michigan in, you know, a small community, um, Galesburg, Michigan. And I was actually born there. And, um, when I was just a little guy, a couple months old, um, they moved to Kentucky to be school teachers there because they felt like they could make more of a contribution um in a small rural school in eastern kentucky in 1962 than they could in western michigan and um you know that had a lot of implications for me um i yeah i didn't they really didn't give me a vote at the time about whether i wanted to go along but um so i'm a kentuckian in that sense um and then later, they uh, they worked for Berea College, um, which was a couple counties over um, for, and a little less rural, but still uh, an idea of service and um, of serving the region and of helping. And and I wanted to be in journalism. That was kind of my default occupation, and I. Did that at a weekly in Berea, and then I went to graduate school at UNC Chapel Hill in journalism. And I got a really, a couple great jobs in Durham. And I learned so much. I had so much fun in the Durham Herald Sun newsroom. I had such good colleagues. Um, But both, and I met uh, at graduate school Liz McGahee, um, and we married about four years after meeting. And we both kind of felt like there are people lined up out the door trying to be in the triangle, Chapel Hill, Durham, Raleigh, who would love nothing more than to have our jobs and to do what we're doing (laughs) and would, frankly, might do a better job at it. You know, Um, I did not I felt like I could go someplace else and they wouldn't even know that I had been there is what it felt like and so we wanted to um go somewhere ultimately with kind of a service ethic to do some uh to do something good I guess and uh you know jury's still out on whether that (laughs) whether that we achieve that goal or not but we decided we would go we would look back in Appalachia where I was from um and and Liz had she was born in Silva, North Carolina, and grown up in Nashville. Um. So. We we wound up at Apple shop in Whitesburg, Kentucky, and it was just a real formative experience. It's it's for its place for the place. It's a it's a large employer, thirty some odd people, but in a context of a organization that I've been part of, it was small, it was self governed. Um. And there were people lining up the door, lining up at the door in Chapel Hill to be development director at any nonprofit there. But, you know, to be the development director at Apple Shop, which I became, you had to move there. You know, you had to be in that community. And that was a real advantage for me because we were ready to do that. And my experience in rural places has been that there's so much opportunity um, because there's so much, uh, you don't have to have a committee to uh, figure out um, your long-range plan. You know, if you see a need, you can dive in and start doing it. And that's what it felt like at Apple Shop, and that I had so many opportunities because everybody plays in a rural area. You know, you don't have bench warmers. Everybody plays. So anyway, that that sense of trying to fill a need and of uh, finding something that would be useful in doing it. I I hope that that feels like what's been my motivation.
0: Mm -hmm. I love the way you describe um, the opportunities that are there for those who want to really contribute and participate in the life of a community, a small community, that everybody plays, everybody's important. And so many of your songs that you've written with Liz have... Uh, I feel like the lyrics are um, in support of that there's a really great song that you all wrote several years ago called Broad on which I think is kind of the story of your coming to Kentucky and um, from outside and coming to learn and understand that place too uh, if anybody's interested in listening to that, where could they hear it? Tim brought on and some of your other music.
1: Well, we've we've got some stuff on YouTube, um, Liz and Tim, and uh, we're on Spotify. If if you yeah yeah look at uh, Liz and Tim, you'll find us there. I think we're on Amazon, maybe a little bit as well. Um, and uh, sometimes there's another Liz and Tim that pops up, but. Um, we're not that hard That's, to find. That it's
0: not that Liz Yeah. <laughs>
1: where are you from? Broad on. Where you from? Broad on. So long. Broad on. So long. Where,
0: where does the yonder place its feet in this conversation this national conversation we're just having now about democracy Um, is is there a role for news in 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 journalism in the repair that's got to take place
1: one role that i've i we've tried to play is to separate uh, myth from fact in terms of what rural america's um participation in this sort of decay of democracy has been um there's there's uh, sometimes from urban areas a uh, sort of a, a blame game put on rural. You know, if those rural people would know how to vote, uh, you know, if they wouldn't vote against their self-interest, uh, this wouldn't happen. Or if they wouldn't fall for that uh, talk radio uh, stuff, this wouldn't happen. And, you know, I'm not going to say that uh, there's not um, – plenty of people in rural America who are um, being deceived by information being put on them, but it's no greater rate uh, in my analysis than it is anywhere else in the United States. And one of the things we did most recently was um, noted where the people arrested for the January 6th insurrection, where they came from. And what we found was that, you know, that rural areas were actually underrepresented as a percentage of the population in the people arrested for the insurrection. And there's this perception, uh, this is one example of it, that uh, rural is a particular way when it comes to politics or where they stand on um, um, the role of government in society. And so we try to push back on stereotypes and untested assumptions about here's what rural america is like well you know i think there are ways to test our assumptions with numbers a lot and and that's one role we play which is to educate um our readers and other people who are trying to cover these issues in other media about exactly here's here's the reality of what those arrest numbers look like for example and then our hope is that something like that becomes a background paragraph in other reporting in other you know respected mainstream outlets about the reality we try to give facts that can then be picked up not as a major story necessarily but as a sort of a a ground truth um, statement about what's actually happening so that's one role i think we can play is helping people understand that this is not a that the difficulties of our democracy that's not a rural problem that's a national problem and we have to um, find ways to get everybody uh, involved in the conversation in positive ways and one of those groups that's got to be in there is rural america
0: so winding this down and i hate to let you go but i want to ask you a question that we ask all of our guests, um, before, before we hop and what, and that is, what are you, what are you reading? What are you watching right now? What are you listening to that is making you less grouchy and more hopeful and, (laughs) (laughs) uh, yeah, giving, giving you insider wisdom into how we better live our lives.
1: Well, I've got to start with reservation dogs. Um, uh, which is a, uh, comedy set in, uh, Oklahoma with, uh, indigenous, uh, actors and crew and writer and director. Um, and I just am enjoying that show so much. It reminds me so much of my, you know, my experience in Eastern Kentucky, though not indigenous, but that sense of rootedness to place and how, how specific um and unique the culture can be in one place versus another and i love the specificity of that program um and how it shows us that something that is tremendously local can be universally uh hilarious and 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 inspire empathy you know, in us. Um, so I love the specificity of that program. Um, I also finally got through my local library. Um, she come by It natural by Sarah Smarsh, which I'm enjoying. Um, I, I knew quite a bit of the kind of the Dolly story doll. This is a story, uh, um, about Dolly Parton. Um, and, The parts I enjoy the most about it are how she compares, how Sarah compares the experiences of the women in her family and her life to how Dolly negotiated the world in a patriarchal, you know, even though Dolly wouldn't talk about it being a patriarchal society, you know, she...
0: Or herself as a feminist.
1: Yeah, yeah. But I have really enjoyed that part of it.
0: So, Tim, thanks for doing this with me for being on this podcast and for being our first episode in our new season
1: um, you're so welcome i've enjoyed the podcast a lot and i'm so glad you're doing it and i think it takes advantage of uh some particular skill sets of yours
0: all right friend i'll see you on slack <laughs> and all right email. Thank i'll you so see much. you
1: around the digital wash uh, uh water cooler
0: If you enjoyed Everywhere Radio, we'd love for you to consider subscribing to the General Rural Assembly newsletter. That's where we promote new offerings from the Assembly and we amplify the good work of our many partners across the country. We've also launched a new policy advocacy newsletter that comes to inboxes on Mondays to help you start each week with a quick take on the top issues that we're tracking across the nation. Everything from broadband policy to rural vaccinations just head over to RuralAssembly.org to sign up. If you're a true fan of Everywhere Radio, please let us know by rating us wherever you get your podcast. If this isn't your cup of tea, that's no biggie. It's fine. And we'd like to thank our media partner, The Daily Yonder. Everywhere Radio is a production of the Rural Assembly. Our senior producer is Joel Cohen, and our associate producers are Xander Brown and Teresa Collins and we're grateful for the love and support of the whole team at the Center for Rural Strategies. Love you, mean it. You can be anywhere, we'll be everywhere.